Well, good morning again to all of you. So, it is New Year's Day today. Just incredible, isn't it? So, today is the start of New Year's resolutions, is it not? No, <laughs> you don't sound really excited about that. Okay, so just an informal survey. How many of you set New Year's resolutions? None of you set New Year's resolutions. <laughs> really, I saw five of you. Okay. And how many of you then have set a resolution to not set any resolutions? <laughs> yeah, there you go. There's some excitement back there. Okay, excellent. Well, we're going to talk about not necessarily setting resolutions, but really sort of renewal of our soul and what that looks like. And we're going to do that over the next four weeks. And today we're going to jump off and introduce this whole thing out of Matthew chapter 16. But before we get into that, I want to give you some background about the first 15 chapters. I really had a choice. I could give you kind of a quick summary or we could read through 15 chapters. Which would you prefer? Okay, so I'll give you a quick summary. So Jesus is born, okay? And he begins to teach about the kingdom. And so there's a good like five or six chapters where Matthew records Jesus's teachings. And he teaches about everything. He teaches about uh, relationship with enemies. He talks, talks about relationship with uh, neighbors. He talks about how to live a, a life that is pleasing to God. He talks about a whole, whole lot of things. But he also does more than just teach. He proclaims the good news of the coming kingdom of God. And so he begins to share who it is that he is in the presence of this world and what it is that God wants to do in this world, not just through him, but in us as well. And so he begins to teach these things. He begins to preach the good news of the kingdom. And then he begins to evidence it through miracles, through um, the casting out of evil spirits. Um, all kinds of miracles begin to take place. He walks on water one day, um, I think just to show off, or at least at least to show that the kingdom has got power even over, over nature. Um, and so all these amazing things take place. Crowds begin to follow him, and he feeds all of them on very little sustenance. And so these miracles happen, and, and crowds begin to follow. But chapter 16 is like a transition point in Matthew's recorded history. And it's a transition point in which people begin to hear something that is central to his message, that everything leading up to that is culminated in. And here's the problem. That's at the point where the crowds began to no longer follow. So if we jump into Matthew chapter 16 this morning and half of you get up and leave, okay, <laughs> that's kind of what happened. And so it's a very sort of troubling, difficult understanding of what it looks like to have life in Jesus. But I hope by the end of this, there'll be a fuller understanding and we can begin sort of to live in new ways as we uh, seek to have our souls renewed in some way. But when it comes to sort of New Year's Day and New Year's resolutions and sort of putting the year behind us, and for many of us, it was a difficult year, so we're looking forward to a, a new year ahead of us. There's kind of three focuses that take place. I think in the new year, we think about these things. We think about who we're not. We think about who we're not and who we really would long to be. Uh, we think about where we aren't and we, where we would really like to be in our lives. I think this is a natural transition point um, during the year in which um, we think about what we need to do differently. And maybe it could be as shallow as, as how we eat and how we take care of ourselves, what we do with our financial resources and how we live those out. It could be all kinds of things on that end of the spectrum. It could be even the deeper stuff of, of how do I live a life that is, that is deeper in Christ and is more righteous and more holy in the way in which I live and carry that out. 
um, more deeper in the sense of being connected to, to, to God in our relationship with Him. Um, it could be any of those things, but, but this is sort of a natural place in sort of the rhythm of a year where we begin to think about these things. We begin to think about them heavily. And so Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 16. We're going to jump into this because this is the transition point in which the crowds began to dissipate. They began to sort of fall away. The, the miracles were great. The teachings leading up to that point were great. But, but this is the central piece of the whole thing. This is the part where people begin to walk away. And my hope for you is that you wouldn't walk away, but that you would truly consider you would consider the words that Jesus would have for you. And so today, if, if you're just getting back into church for the first time, and, and this is a place for you to come and sort of you're trying to get connected again, or you're, you're just trying this whole thing out again, we're glad you're here. And you're going to hear this, and this is really the central part of what we believe and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it may be a bit confusing, and that's okay. And for those of us who have been followers for a very long time or even a brief time, this is really the central part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so hopefully we're challenged by that and that we are invited into a deeper way of living because of that. But Matthew records for us what takes place in this pivotal chapter um, in the life of and teaching of Jesus. And here's what he says. He says, from that time on, so you notice the transition there between the first 15 chapters and then this chapter, from that time on, so something else is taking place place, Matthew said. All these things have happened. There have been miracles. There have been teaching. Uh, there's been all kinds of, of amazing interaction with people. Crowds are following. But then Matthew makes a transition and he says, from that time on, something else happened. And, and that's what's core to what we're going to be talking about. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples. So uh, lots of evidence was happening. Uh, lots of discussion and conversation. Lots of intriguing events were taking place. Um, but now he begins to actually explain to his disciples. He's, he begins to sort of lay out the purpose of why he's here and what he is here to do. And he begins to explain to the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders. Now, when you are following a rock star, and the rock star says, we're all going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die, huh, that's, that's not a message you want to hear. That's not a message you want to hear. And so Matthew continues to record for us in the next verse that the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he says, and, and that he must be killed. So you've got to get in mind here. The crowds are following. They're amazed at his teaching. He's got incredible authority. The miracles that are taking place are unlike anything they've ever seen. They're captivated by, um, by the words that he speaks and the actions he takes because they're so contrary to what they've known religiously. They're so contrary to their experience. And yet it's in this moment that he says, this is what's going to happen. This, I trust you, my friends, my disciples. I trust you to know this is what's going to take place. I'm going to be killed and on the third day be raised to life. He continues on and he sa it says that Peter took him aside. So, so Peter, kind of one of the, the most outspoken disciples, right, jumps at this opportunity and he, he takes him aside and he begins to rebuke him. Now, if you're following the Messiah, is that a good idea? It's just a thought. Like, is that a good idea? Probably not. But, but it, seems, it seems like a good idea to Peter at the moment. You know how you can be spontaneous that way? And you say, oh, uh, you know, on hindsight, I probably ought not have done that. Well, so Peter takes him aside. He begins to rebuke him. And he says, no, this, this can't be. It can't be that way. He says, never, Lord. Um, he said, this shall, this shall never, never happen to you. This, this isn't in the plan. This isn't, this isn't what I dreamt of. This isn't what I would dream about if God were coming to earth and establishing his kingdom and saving his people. 
this isn't, this isn't the way it ought to go. And so Peter basically stands up and he says, I disagree with the plan. I, I don't like the plan. Let's find a new plan. I know you're the leader. I'm here for you. But we need to find a new plan for your life. We need to find a new plan for my life. Let's find a whole different plan. A plan where, um, I don't know, God takes over and he gives the nation back to us and we're, we're in charge again. How's that plan? Right? So there's this idea of um, not liking what Jesus is saying. And maybe, maybe today you kind of are like Peter and you're going to hear these words and it's going to challenge your own will and you're not really going to like the words. And, and so know you're in good company. Okay? Know you're in good company. And here's what Jesus says to Peter. He, he says to him, um, look, get behind me, Satan. It's a pretty, pretty harsh thing. But you know what? You don't rebuke the Messiah. Like that's not a good idea. And he says, he says, get behind me, Satan. Now, does he think that Peter is Satan? No. What Jesus is saying is that there, there is a will contrary to my own, and that's it right there. What you just said, Peter, is natural. It's, it's something that um, I, I'm sure you, you own and you identify with, but that is actually contrary to, to my will. It just is not in keeping with, with what, I, what it is that, that I am bringing to this world. I, I just don't think you quite understand. And so he says, he says no, that's not, that's not the plan. You are a stumbling block to me. And so Jesus even admits here, I think, um, his humanity, right? There's temptation. There's temptation in this for Jesus. That in the words of Peter are temptations. It's temptation to, to not fulfill maybe what God would have for Jesus. It, I mean, it's in this moment we get a glimpse of, of our humanity in our Messiah. Because these words actually are potential stumbling block to Jesus fulfilling what God would have for him. And Matthew continues to record, he says, you do not have in mind. Now, I want you to latch onto this word and just hold it for a minute. Okay, we're going to get to that in a second. But this word mind, I want you to take it and I want you to just hold it and just, just, just hold it there in your mind for a moment. He says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So, so what seems contrary to what Jesus is saying is, is that there are human concerns that are, that are legitimate. They're the cries of our soul, the longings of our heart. And those are okay. But when we hear and we see and we sense and we have the opportunity to embrace the mind of God or the concerns of God, those things ought to in some way inform our human concerns. And so while our human concerns and longings are, are all legitimate, it's who we are as fallen people. They're opportunities actually to access the concerns of God. In, inside of those human concerns, those, those, those things that are going on in your heart and my heart, the things that trouble us, the things that um, capture our attention and, and worry us and cause anxiety, are the very things that are invitations to access God's concerns for not only our lives, but for the world itself. And so he says that... God's concerns are really his concern. Even though there are these human concerns that are very tempting for him to have. Matthew continues, 
Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, and now here comes the teaching and people begin to leave. Whoever wants to be my disciple, which just remember, we've talked about this before, means learner, means learner or student. Whoever wants to be my student must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, for us, that gets, I think, misapplied a little bit. But back then, I mean, when, when you said to somebody, you pick up your cross and you follow me, it literally meant like, you're going to die. This was capital punishment. They saw this on the crossroads of the busy life of commerce during the first century. They saw Roman government put crosses up as deterrent. They were like billboards to people that you behave. And you, you actually note the human concerns. And you follow the human concerns. Because if you don't follow the human concerns, this is, this is going to be your concern. You'll be on one. So when Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me, for the, for the first century here, this, this, was, this was huge. And, and I think today, we, we sort of, we're, we're all here in this room, and I don't think any of us have actually literally picked up a cross and gotten on it. So what does Jesus mean? What is he teaching? What's going on here in the middle of all this? I think this can be a little confusing. I think maybe if you've read this before, maybe this has turned you off to who God is before. I think maybe even if you've been a follower for a while, the concern is like, how do I apply that? What does that mean to me? Do I literally have to go do this? So Jesus says a couple of things. He says three things in particular. He says, deny, take up, follow. Deny, take up, follow. And so the, the, the Christian life, the one in which we are pursuing Jesus, the one in which we are learners and disciples, looks a little more like this. Central to following Jesus is self-denial, not really self-fulfillment. And I think this is what he's saying to Peter is that central to following me, Peter, really isn't, it isn't um, noting your human concern and then exerting that on everyone else. It's noting your human concern and that, that you've got in some way to deny that so that you can embrace the concern of God, which is bigger and more healing for you. So central to following Jesus in the midst of a world that wants to hear um, easy spirituality, central to following Jesus is actually self-denial, not self-fulfillment. See, the crowds had come because they needed to be fulfilled. They needed their stomachs filled. They needed diseases healed. They needed demons cast out. They needed to hear teaching that was different than what they had had. They needed to be set free from religious oppression. And in some way, that's fulfilling. And, that, and that's a good thing. That's kind of what draws us to Jesus to begin with, is noting our own brokenness, our own emptiness, all of that. But the problem is, is after we come to Jesus, we can actually be con consumed with that and still note all of the things that are lacking and that we want God to solve. And what God wants us to do is to make a transition from our human concerns to an invitation to embrace His concerns. So instead of seeking out of self-fulfillment, we actually come to a place of self-denial. And so Jesus says that. He says, deny, take up, follow. Deny, take up, follow. Here's what He means on a deeper level. And you have to get into the original language to understand that. So as a matter of introduction, there are three Greek words primarily throughout the New Testament that are used for the word life before we jump into the next verse. The first word is bios. You recognize that? Physical life. It's where we get the word biology. Yeah, you're right. So when you get sick and you need medication or you're having uh, heart problems or you're having difficulty breathing, what do you do? You go to the doctor who is operating within this sphere of life. Right? The physical life. 
So the, the heartbeat, um, all of our senses, the physicality of being alive. So the Greek word there is bios, and so it's this understanding of physical life. So you might think that Jesus is about to talk about bios when it relates to taking up your cross, but he doesn't. There's another word entirely. Then there's zoe, which is the divine life of God. So when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he uses the word zoe. And we have access to that divine life, as we'll see here in a moment. And then there's suke, and suke is the soul. Can you, can you figure out, you figure this one out, because you, you're smart, you really are. Um, can you figure out what this one would be in English? Psychology, yeah, yeah. So when you're having heart problems, you don't go to the psychologist. Yeah, that's not a good idea. You, you go to the doctor, right? And if you're, if you're having relational problems, if you're having like inner soul issues, you don't go to the doctor, you go to the psychologist because this word suke, it means life as well. So the problem is, is all three of those get translated into life. So when you read it in English, you'll see the word life, but you won't see the underlying root word of what's being said. So I'm trying to help you with that. So suke can get translated as the soul. It also gets translated as life. And you'll see it translated both here because the translators, the NIV, decided to use both. But I'm going to help point it out to you that it's the same word as we go through it. So it means the soul, which is a culmination of three things. The mind, emotion, will. All right? So when Peter rebukes Jesus... And Jesus says that you don't have in mind the concerns of God. When he says you don't have in mind, remember we held on to that word? You don't have in mind the things of God. He is talking about the soul. Peter, you don't have in mind the concerns of God. You have human concerns. What's on your mind, what's in your soul is human. And you are being invited, Peter, as we all are, to embrace a greater life. We are invited to access the divine life through the person of Jesus, okay? So there's a little bit of an introduction. The Greek word that you're going to see in the next few verses is this word, suke. So when Jesus is talking about soul and life in the next few verses, he is talking about your mind, your will, and your emotion, all right? He's not talking about your physical life or even the divine life. He is speaking of this life. All right? Now, maybe it'll make a little more sense when he says, take up your cross and follow me. Because when you take up a cross, something dies. In fact, in the first century, when you took up a cross, what died? And? <laughs> yeah. So when Jesus says that, this is the way we think. But the words that get used are the word, is the word suke. So let's jump into that. Now you're curious? Okay, because hopefully you're going to look at these verses through fresh eyes. You've seen them before. And some of you maybe haven't. Matthew says and records, For whoever wants to save their suke, not bios, suke, whoever wants to save their soul, their life, will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Now, isn't that a whole different nuanced understanding of this verse than what you had before? Because you were confused. You read it and you thought, okay, Jesus says, take up your cross. I'm going to lose my physical life. I haven't done that. I'm still alive. What is it that I'm supposed to be doing? The invitation Jesus has for us is a complete yielding of our souls, our minds, our wills, our emotions. He says, if you want to find your life, if you want to find your soul, you will lose it. 
and whoever loses it for me will thereby find it. You see, when it comes to our lives, we are actually more concerned about fixing them, but Jesus wants to replace them. That's what New Year's resolutions are all about, isn't it? When it comes to our life, we want to fix it. We go to a psychologist to fix it. We go to church to fix it. We read books to fix it. We try all kinds of things to fix it. We set goals to fix it. We try to exert what? Our suke, our wills and minds and emotions to fixing our lives. The problem is, is you take something broken and lost and you ask it to bring about renewal, it can only bring about brokenness. The invitation Jesus gives us is not to exert our suke to fix our lives, but to have access to his zoe because he wants to replace our lives with his. He wants to replace our will with the will of God. He wants to replace our concerns with the concerns of God. This is the invitation that Peter is is being invited into. And I think we can look at the words of Jesus toward Peter and say they're very harsh. And it seems like that on the surface, but really it's an invitation to have access to a life that is completely different than Peter has ever had. The life that people have seen out through the first 15 chapters played out for them, we have the opportunity to engage in and become a part of. And that's an incredible invitation. Moving on to the next verse, uh, Matthew says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world? And here he uses the same word, to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul, their suke. Same word as life in the verse prior. Exact same word. So what good is it then, Jesus says, to gain everything? All the human concerns you have. What good would it be for all of your human concerns and emotional needs and the things you've set your mind to to be met and then you lose the very thing you wanted to begin with? What good is it to gain everything and yet lose it all? Here's the thought here. Our souls can be lost. Now, I think we read these verses and we like to use them with regard to people who need to hear the gospel and we say, look, your soul's going to be lost if you don't lose it for Jesus. But here's the thing. Do you remember who he was talking to in this passage? It says that he pulled his disciples aside. He wasn't talking to the crowds. He was talking to you and me. You see, it's not the world that can lose their souls. Yes, that's true. It's followers of Jesus who can lose their souls. Our souls can be lost in the midst of the busyness and chaos and heartache and despair of this world. And what he was saying to Peter is, Peter, you are losing your soul. And you're being invited to have the access to the the life of God. And so this is is the warning to us as disciples is that your, your soul, your mind, your will, your emotion can all be lost in the midst of the chaos of this world. And so can mine very easily. The busyness and all of the relational turmoil and all the difficulty that goes on and the trials and the frustrating things that happen, the enemies that are against us, our souls can be lost if, they're, if we don't watch out. This is the warning Jesus brings us. Our souls can be lost. And then here's what Matthew records for us. Jesus says, or, or what can anyone give in exchange for their suke? 
What can it, there's nothing more valuable than that life, Jesus says. Nothing more valuable. So, where are we going for four weeks? Here is the underlying principle that will guide us for the next four weeks, and it's this. Our souls are found in giving our lives away. Because Jesus said, if you want to find your life, you will lose your life. So our souls, our suki, they're found in actually giving them away. And they're giving them away in the great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's when we give them away to God in pursuit of His will and His mind and His concerns, and it's when we then take those things and give, the, give it away to others. So when we take our life and we spend it in those two ways, we find our life. That's the beauty of this passage. So over the next four weeks, that's what we're going to be talking about. How to find our souls in the middle of a world that is tugging and grasping at causing us to lose them as Peter was losing it in that conversation. So over the next three weeks, we're going to help you figure out how it is to find your soul. And it comes through giving your life away. So we'll continue to focus on that.